0: Hello and welcome to The Mock Review with Ben and Drew. I'm Ben Garmo. And I'm Drew Evans. Well, Drew, it's been a boring month in Midlands.
1: (laughs) Definitely. We definitely haven't been talking at all, have we?
0: Uh, Yeah, I, you know, there really hasn't been anything to talk about. Uh, You and I just, you know, haven't talked at all about anything mock trial related. And I'm sure that's true about the rest of the country as well. Um, You know, it's summer, so what could we possibly be talking about?
1: Well, then there was that little release that we got recently, but that's for another date, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's obviously we're a bit tongue in cheek, but we figure everyone does want to know if we're going to talk about the final round. And the answer is yes, but not yet. Uh, We're in the process of trying to assemble a episode about that and we're working on putting it together. So just You know, keep an eye on your feed for that. And we're hoping to have it out uh, relatively soon. Uh, In the meantime, though, uh, you know, Drew, just about a year ago, when we started doing this, after we did that first preview episode, our first real episode was a preview of 2018 Trial by Combat. And it's kind of hard to believe that a year later, we're still sitting here, we're still doing this. And now we're talking about the second iteration, the 2019 Trial by Combat.
1: Yeah, it is definitely a a nice full circle uh definitely a fun episode for us to be doing just as it's one that not only have we done it before, but it's it it feels like that kind of the conclusion to the year for us. Um I'm really excited about about this year's trial by combat field. Uh it's it's just so it's so fun to see this field get developed because You kind of look at it and say like, wow, that is just such an elite group. And then people get added to it and you say, wow, that's just keeping it really, really elite, maybe making it even tougher. And it's really fun to see. And we're left now with a group of 16 competitors that just – it is going to be a lot of fun. Um, Just to quickly read through that list, uh, we have Sabrina Grandi of UVA. We have Mary Preston Austin of Wheaton. We have Sydney Gaskins of UMBC. Never heard of those guys. Uh, Chris Grant, neither Chris Grant of Northwood, Mike Kleinman of Rutgers, Daniel Elliot of Rhodes, Elizabeth Bays of Yale, Stephen Torres of Cornell, Jonathan Kwong of UCLA, Stephen Johnson of Cincinnati, Claudine Isaac of NYU, Sarah Stebbins of Georgia Tech, Natalie Garson of Boston University, Regina Campbell. Of University of Chicago, Jack Siegenthaler of Stanford University, and finally rounding out the field will be Sangeetha Kannan of Penn State. Uh, as we recently found out, uh, Madeline White will not be competing at uh, Trial by Combat anymore, so the waitlisted person, Sangeetha Kannan, will be completing in her stead. Uh, and I'm sure that Sangeetha is going to do phenomenally. She is a very, very strong competitor and well suited for this field
0: on that last point I've seen Sankitha go and she's a well-deserved member of this field um it's unfortunate that you know Madeline from Miami is not going to be able to join the field um I've not seen her go but I've heard nothing but fantastic things and, and clearly she was you know well-deserved to be a part of the field as well but I mean look that's that list of names is is about as good as it gets you know we said that last year and I think Justin and his group did a even better job this year of assembling a really dynamic field. Uh, So, Drew, I'll ask you a question that may be a little bit impossible to answer, but (laughs) uh, we wouldn't be doing our jobs if we didn't, you know, break down the field a little bit and talk about what we thought was going to happen. So of that list of 16 competitors, what names sort of jump out to you? What thoughts do you have about what we should expect to see
1: uh, at Trial by Combat this year? So I'll start with some of the maybe more predictable things, which is Sarah Stebbins, Mike Kleinman, and Jack Siegenthaler, all three competed last year and were in the top five. So I think it's pretty fair to say that now that we have lost Nick and Rachel, the three of them are prime candidates for being some of the the top competitors and being in that final round. Uh, I also think that people like Elizabeth Bayes and Stephen Johnson and Chris Grant, who competed last year, uh, will have a good bit of an edge just because they've done this whole one day of prep thing before. I think there's definitely going to be a learning curve to that, and I expect that the three of them will do very well uh in addition um, But I think that the rest of the field is so so strong. I think that it's you know silly to count out anyone really if I'm having to make a prediction i think i'll I'll make a prediction this way. I think that the final round is going to be uh, a female uh, versus a female. And that's actually not as bold as it may initially sound just because there are actually more uh, women than men in this uh, tournament. There are nine female competitors and only seven male, which is also great. Shout out to Justin and the rest of uh, the group that selected this uh, list of competitors. that They were able to get uh, more women than men. I think that's always really good to see. But I mean, I really think that we have some of these just really top phenomenal competitors uh, and female competitors, especially that I really have so much respect for. The three that I think come to mind for me were Sarah Stebbins, Elizabeth Bays, and Sabrina Grandi. The three of them are the three competitors where when i 've gone against them i've just been left, and I say I haven 't gone against Sabrina. I have seen film of her though, and the three of them, when I watch them go, I am just blown away and i i truly feel like they are competing on another level from what most people that i see are competing at and look i've seen some of these other competitors and they pretty handily beat me whenever i play them they're very very good as well uh it's not to say that these three are the only top competitors but i really think that the three of them are just phenomenal and i really expect to see some combination of the of the three of them or some of the other really, really prominent female competitors like Regina Campbell, like Claudine Isaac in that final round. Uh, Again, there are so many good competitors. I could be completely wrong. We could be seeing a Jack versus Mike final round. That would definitely not surprise anyone. Um, But look, this is going to be a really, really fun tournament. And Ben, you are fortunate enough to be competing in – I guess, kind of through Sydney as her plus one as her coach. And, you know, I'm so excited for you guys, obviously, to get to to go and compete here at Trial by Combat. But what are you guys doing? What's the prep like? What are you expecting going into Trial by Combat? I'm guessing there's pretty different feelings comparing this year to last year for you. So how is all that going?
0: Yeah, it's it's a really interesting preparation process for us you know this will obviously be the first time that sydney or i do anything like this so we're we're kind of approaching it in a way where we know there's only so much that can be done right so this weekend for example um we're recording this on on thursday night a little bit more than a week before trial by combat uh this weekend uh sydney and i are going to be working against um one of our assistant coaches and ethan hudson Who's our, who's just reelected as our program's president? He's an all region attorney, really just a fantastic talent, and actually a former teammate of Sydney's in high school. Um, and so we're gonna be working internally to prep last year's case and just kind of try to get used to the rigors of making sure that we have the material generated and prepared in 24 hours that we need. Beyond that, I think a lot of it is just preparing mentally. You know, so Sydney and I have talked a lot about uh, sort of our own strengths and weaknesses. What you know she does well and what she struggles at. What I do well and what I struggle at. How we differ and how our styles of preparing for things uh, to just try to be as prepared as possible going into something that I think there's only so much you can do. Uh, in some ways, I've talked to a couple of people who have said this a lot of it is just about kind of keeping your head on straight and not getting 16 hours in and just being like, Oh my God, everything we have is terrible. We have to tear it all up and start again. You know, like that would be a bold strategy. I don't think it would quite be the right one. Um, And, you know, I know last year's champion, Nick Ramos mentioned on the podcast that maybe he, had a couple extra drinks the night before. I'm not really planning on doing that either, but clearly (laughs) it worked for him. So who knows? I, you know, maybe that's the strategy to take, but bottom line is I am so excited. Like I, I'm nervous. I'm scared in some ways, but, uh, I couldn't be prouder to be, uh, coaching alongside Sydney who has earned her spot, uh, in, you know, just her second year of competing. She really, really has. And and more than anything else, I think I'm just looking forward to being in that environment and getting to participate in this really just spectacle of mock trial that Justin has put together. Uh, and beyond that, I, I think the cards are going to fall where they are and we'll do our best.
1: Uh, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, look, I, I had the pleasure of going against Sydney this year. And I think that, she was obviously phenomenal could not deserve to be there more. She is a great, great competitor and really fun to go against the biggest thing I think is just going to be the, as you said, the mental game of, Oh my gosh, I'm going up against fill in the blank competitor. How like, Making sure that you keep your head on straight and say, okay, I deserve to be here. I'm just as good. I can compete with them because I feel like that intimidation factor is very real. I mean, these are 16 of the best in the nation, and it's all about going into each round and saying to yourself, hey, I deserve to be here. I can do this. I can compete with the best because I am one of the best. And if you can do that, you know, you'll take a couple check marks. Maybe you win the ballot. Who knows? That's up to the judges, not us.
0: Right, exactly. And and I think more than anything else, you have to enjoy being in the experience that if you absolutely, you know, if you think that the 24 hours is just going to be miserable, well, then why are you doing it? You know, I intend to have fun and that'll be what it'll be. But uh, one of my goals, one of the things I try to emphasize when I coach when it comes to mental health is is finding the joy in this activity that, that sometimes it's easy to forget that hopefully the reason we all do this is because there are moments where it makes us feel joyful and it makes us feel um, energized and proud of what we do. And my hope is to sort of enable Sydney to be able to do that. And and I know that she'll enable me to do that. Uh, and, and that'll be that. So uh, with that, we mentioned Justin and we're very fortunate that Justin has agreed to join us again, this year so uh we're going to take a quick break and then we are going to talk to justin bernstein uh in a little while after that we're going to talk to uh ucla competitor jonathan Quang, uh about his experience and try to get as many perspectives as possible about uh this year's trial by combat so we're going to take a quick break and then we'll be back with justin bernstein Welcome back to The Mock Review with Ben and Drew. You know, when we started this podcast just about a year ago, we were thrilled to have Justin Bernstein on to talk about the first iteration of Trial by Combat. And we are equally as thrilled to have our first return guest on the podcast because joining us again is former AMTA AMTA president, uh, member of the AMTA Coaches Hall of Fame, and just all-around mock trial aficionado, Justin Bernstein. Uh, Justin, thanks so much for coming back and talking to us again.
2: Thanks for having me. I had a good time last year and I'm excited to talk to you today.
0: And we're excited to have you here. So, so Justin, the last time that we talked, you were still, uh, affiliated with Drexel and you were still working with Drexel. And, and since that time, you've sort of made the move across the country back to, uh, UCLA. So sort of a two-parter, what, what led to that and how have things been going at UCLA since you made that switch?
2: So when I went to Drexel, uh, couple of years ago, and I did my year at Drexel, I anticipated that I'd be on the East Coast at Drexel in Philly for a long time. It was a great job. I love the people I worked with and for students were awesome. And I was teaching and coaching trial advocacy full-time. I mean, what could be better than that? I didn't think anything could be better than that. Uh, and then that spring, uh, UCLA created a new position. It wasn't uh, somebody creating a vacancy. It was brand new. And I thought maybe this could be the only thing better. Uh, and I applied. I didn't really think much of it. I didn't think I had much of a chance. It was a nationwide search. And then all of a sudden there's a callback and then there's an interview and then you get the phone call. And all of a sudden I have an opportunity to not only teach and coach trial advocacy full time, but to do it back in Southern California where my, my family and friends are, uh, to do it at one of the top law schools in the world. But I think the most exciting part of it was that UCLA didn't have much of a trial program before. I mean, of course they had trial advocacy courses and they had a team that had. Occasionally done well. But for those who, who sort of follow trial advocacy at a law school level, you'll know that generally it's not the elite, fancy, top 15 US news schools that have top trial programs. Uh, it's usually schools that make trial ad their thing. And so a position like this only exists at uh, two top 20 law schools. There's only two top 20 law schools, I believe, in the country that have full time directors of trial ad. Uh, there might be a third, but I'm only aware of two. And UCLA was joining that group, and here I get to do that in my hometown in in Southern California. I mean, what a dream. So uh, it was hard to leave Philly, but I I feel like I've got the best job in the world.
1: That is definitely exciting for you, and we're really glad to see you back on the West Coast. Um, But now that you are associated with UCLA, obviously going into trial by combat this year, it is something that has been shared by UCLA and Drexel. So how exactly is that dynamic going to work uh, moving forward?
2: So far, it's been seamless. Uh, this year, of course, it's going to be in Philadelphia. Next year, it's going to be in Los Angeles and back and forth is the plan. Uh, in some ways, it's, it's great because this year, for example, I'm doing uh, a lot of their work on the case writing along with Professor Abby Heller at Drexel, uh, but they're handling a lot of logistics. So it's nice to, to have some help. And then next summer, we get to welcome people out on the West Coast. And show off our law school. Uh, So the two schools get to uh, work together. It's nice because we're not uh, typically competing for the same students. Uh, Both law schools are wonderful, but they attract uh, students who are focused in different parts of the country, of course. And so uh, it's, it's an easy friendship.
1: So Justin, now that we are moving into the second year of Trial by Combat, one of the bonuses that you have is a year of experience with it. And obviously you've been running Gladiator for a while now, so you've been doing this style of tournament for a little while, but you know what did you learn from from last year's tournament, and are there any takeaways that you have that you're hoping to improve this year on?
2: I think the first thing we looked for last year was whether people enjoyed the competition, and the surveys afterwards seemed to confirm what people were saying as they were talking to us in person. People had a really good time i mean that obviously sounds self serving but I've, I've run a bunch of tournaments now. I think I've done more than 20 tournaments and more than a dozen invitationals, probably closer to 20 invites between college and law school and, and high school. And I don't think I've ever gotten better survey responses in this one, uh, which was really exciting uh, to see the top students and top coaches are really enjoying themselves. But in another sense, it makes sense because this was the only competition I ever run where we were not trying to break even. We weren't trying to make any money. Um, a lot of college competitions, they use the tournament as fundraisers, or at least try to break even, and they get to face elite competition without paying anything. But here, the law school viewed this as a marketing opportunity to say, hey, look how committed we are to trial ad, which they are. And we got to host the competition in a gorgeous building. We had resources to bring in often five or six judges per trial. Uh, the trophies were, were nice. I, I think we're the only tournament with a sword as a trophy. We uh, live streamed the final, uh, food to the competitors all weekend, and we're able to do that because the school was really behind it. Uh, so you know, I think I have some experience with this stuff, and the school is obviously behind it, so we had a good first year. Uh, the goal, of course, is to get better, so the survey results are really helpful. Uh, and I think that led us to make a couple changes, but the changes we're making are, are pretty small. Along those same lines then, uh, can
0: you, for the listeners who maybe didn't make it to the competition or who haven't followed it as closely, can you review real quick how the scoring format works and how the ballot works? And then also, is the ballot the same from last year's competition or have you made any changes, I guess, to either the ballot or how the ballots are uh, counted in terms of determining who moves on and who's uh, placing and things like that?
2: I feel like this is an expert direct because I'm going to say, you know, you said a lot there. I'm going to take it piece by piece.
0: I've been accused of asking multiple part questions on on more than one occasion. Objection compound.
2: That's right. (laughs) I'll start with the the format. Uh, The competition is one-on-one. That is, each trial has one lawyer on on each side, one plaintiff lawyer, one defense lawyer, one prosecutor, one defense lawyer. I don't want to give away whether it's civil or criminal. And then one witness per side, one P witness, one D witness. The idea is that we're going to try to find the single best competitor, and then that, that requires pitting students head to head. The scoring, therefore, is also head to head. So judges aren't writing down ten for this or seven for that. There's no scores; they're writing down check marks. So you can imagine the categories in the middle of the page, and you either put a check mark on uh, the P side or the D side for whichever advocate you think was better. We've got seven categories: uh, direct, opening, cross, etc. For the attorneys and for the witnesses direct cross credibility. The one category we changed this year uh, was a switched out exhibits or use of exhibits as one of the scoring functions for the lawyers. And we added theme and theory as one of the scoring criterion.
1: Justin, one of the other landmarks of trial by combat is the fact that this is an individual competition. It's one-on-ones and the only outside help people are able to get is with their coaches. Um, we haven't, seen the list yet of who all those coaches are. Do you mind just quickly going through with us? I I know one of them at least. Um, But uh, other than Ben, you know, can you go through for us who all the coaches of Trial by Combat are going to be this year?
2: Sure. Uh, Representing the University of Virginia, Sabrina Grandi, and she'll be coached by Toby Hightens, former professor, now Solicitor General. Uh, We have Mary Preston Austin from Wheaton, coached by Chris Pressure, which I, I believe is an alum of the school and a former very successful competitor there. And, and I won't be able to, to identify all these students uh, and coaches because I only know some of the coaches. But Sidney Gaskins, of course, is coached by uh, the best podcaster. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh, Christopher Grant returns from Northwood. He's coached by DeLois and from the Coaches Hall of Fame. Uh, Mike Kleinman returns from Rutgers. He's coached by Michael Roberts, again. Daniel Elliott represents Rhodes College and is coached by Connor Hurley. Elizabeth Bays will be coached by her father, Timothy Bays. Sangeetha Kanan uh, from Penn State is coached by Caitlin Conway. Stephen Torres, the All-American from Cornell, is coached by Huston Lifflander. Jonathan Kwong from UCLA is coached by Stephen Borrello. Stephen Johnson uh, from Cincinnati is coached by Julia Grieve. Claudine Isaac from NYU is coached by Amanda Tuminelli. Amanda, of course, I'm going to give a plug for a former student. Amanda is not only the uh, coach who won the first trial by combat, uh, but she's one of the few people I know who won national championships in college and law school. Sarah Stebbins uh, was our fifth-place competitor last year, and she's coached by someone named William Warahe. Natalie Garson is going to be coached by Zachary Cloud, representing Boston University. Regina Campbell, All-American from Chicago, is coached by Samuel Jahinger. And Jack Siegenthaler will return from Stanford, coached by Tom Scher.
0: That's a solid list of coaches I'd say there's there's a fair amount of talent in there. Um did I hear you say cuz cuz we had the the internal conference call earlier that between the competitors and the coaches there's somewhere like 30 all-americans in that group of 34.
2: That's correct. Uh somewhere around 30 all-american awards. Uh hard to keep track who's, of which of the coaches how many they've each won uh and approximately 10 final round appearances. So
0: it's right, a good group. Well, wow. it's pretty solid. Uh, So along those same lines, so this is obviously the second year you've done this tournament, which means it's the second year that you've had to narrow down from thousands of AMTA competitors to however many applied to uh, developing the actual field. So how did the applicant pool differ, if at all, from last year? And how did the process of developing that field, did it differ at all from how you did it last year?
2: Yes, there there were some differences. I think the biggest difference is that we have fewer applications, but stronger applications the last year. And that actually didn't start this year. It started toward the end of last year. I think you may remember last year, we released a list of eight students about halfway through the season as of the first eight students accepted. And then we filled in the, the remaining eight uh, up through the end of the empty season. And what we saw is that before we released the eight, uh, we were getting more applications. And after we released the eight, the number of applications actually slowed down but the quality in- increased. I think what, we, what was happening is that when people saw that top competitors were coming, it had two effects. One, I think there are students who said, okay, I, I don't yet have the credentials. I'm, I haven't been around long enough. I haven't had the opportunity to shine. I'm going to save my application for when I have a better chance when I'm a few, uh, few years more experienced. But we also saw some of the top competitors say, oh, if this is the group that's going to be here, this is worth my time. And so we started getting stronger applicants That trend continued this year. Uh, It made selection more exciting, but also much more difficult. I said this last year, we had to turn away really incredible competitors. And that's even more true this year. I mean, multiple All-Americans we didn't have space for. And they're obviously outstanding, but we had to make tough choices.
1: One thing that I think a lot of people have wondered about for this selection process, and obviously you can't go into too much detail, but how exactly does that process work? Uh, is there a large group of people that make the decisions? Is it just you? You know, How exactly do you go about making some of these tough decisions?
2: So I, I make most of the decisions, but I'll check in with folks at, at Drexel because we are co-hosting. I want to make sure that they're comfortable with the selections. Uh, they know that I have more experience with Amta and which teams are going where and how, how teams are doing and who has strong coaching and who's having a good year. So they're uh very differential often, but I certainly want to check in with them. Uh but ultimately if if you like the the selections you made you can give everybody credit and if you don't like them you can blame me. <laughs>
1: Well, one of the things that we also have this year is a number of returning uh, competitors that competed last year as juniors uh, and are returning for their senior years to compete a second time. Do you think that they're going to have an advantage? Do you think that there's anything that is learned from competing in it one year that they can take away and maybe anything that for the new people that they should know that's going to help them out and give them more of an equal footing?
2: I think experience certainly helps. Uh, one thing that's so different about trial by combat that we haven't talked about is the case preparation. the ca- The tournament is going to start on Saturday morning, and the competitors getting the case on Friday morning. They're going to have twenty four hours to prepare both sides of a case. That means they've got to read it, think about it, come up with their theories, come up with their themes, uh, design their directs, crosses, openings, closings, both sides of the case, and think about how they're going to play the witnesses. And they have to find some time to sleep. It's hard. It's really, really hard. Uh I've I've had to do it, and not at the college level. I've done it at the law school level. This tournament uh was inspired by the Top Gun competition run by Baylor. I've had now had the pleasure of coaching there five times and experience has made a difference. The first time I coached there, my advocate did well, but not as well as, as she could have if, if I'd been more prepared and, and I'd had more of awareness of had a budget our twenty four hour time. Since then, I think I've learned a lot and my, my students have uh, been in the finals three times and made the break to the playoffs four times. And I, I don't think that's because uh, I did anything special. I think it's because with that experience, you can avoid making some mistakes. So do I think that we're necessarily going to see uh, only the returners doing well in advancing? No, of course not. But students who've been here before and succeeded uh, or students who've just been here before at all, I think have a little bit of an edge. But it's also the coaches because this is a competition where coaches can make an enormous difference. You only have one person you can talk to during your 24 hours. So if the coach has been here before, even if the student hasn't, I think that's a big edge too.
0: You know, along those same lines, and this I wasn't planning on getting into this specifically, but am I right that Top Gun does not have a single
2: coach restriction or does it? It does. So originally, it was just the coach and the competitor in 2015, they added trial technology. And what they what they did is they said that all of the exhibits are going to be digital and you're going to display them on monitors in the courtroom. And the technology they give everybody through iPads is quite sophisticated. You can not only display exhibits, but you can play video, you can play audio, uh, you can use a digital laser pointer, you can show which way a car is moving on a map, uh, you can zoom in, zoom out, change slides. In other words, it's the kind of thing that would be pretty impossible to do Uh, while you're being an advocate. Uh, And so they added as a second chair, uh, a person who can handle the technology that that student isn't permitted to ask questions during trial or give speeches, but they can handle all the technology. So since then they've added that person. But in terms of coaching, it's just one person you can bring.
0: Interesting. Okay.
2: So along the same lines
0: then as sort of similarities and differences between this and Top Gun, uh, one of the things that I think Got more similar this year is the addition of a semifinal round. So, what was the sort of the logic behind adding a semifinal round? Uh, and what are you sort of looking for this year with the addition of that as opposed to last year's tournament?
2: Yeah, I think that one reason we didn't have a semifinal last year is anytime I do a new tournament, I want to make sure we do it really, really well. And every additional bell and whistle you add is an opportunity for something to go wrong. And so, I want to make sure year one went smoothly. Having seen that it did, I felt more comfortable adding a, a semifinal. I also want to make sure that we weren't ending too late on Sunday so that people could catch flights home. I think our timing works that for the people are generally able to do that. Uh, the advantages of the semifinal are, are obvious. You have a better opportunity to see who the strongest competitors are head to head. Anytime that you're deciding it based on tiebreakers or scoring in rounds where students didn't face, you're going to have diminished ability to identify who's really the best competitor. i uh, And that takes nothing away, obviously, from our outstanding finalists last year. But I think that this year, we're going to get to see uh, two more advocates have a chance to show how excellent they are in the semifinals.
1: Now, Justin, one of the things that did change or didn't change what happened last year that we actually discussed then was the closed tab room that you would do for for trial by combat. And not just a closed tab room, but the tab results that were published uh, was just the top five competitors. Mm -hmm. And this is something where... You know, as someone that is very uh into the perjuries discussions that we always uh, seem to have, I totally understand the rationale behind maybe not publishing the round by round results. It's just it's it can get personal, but is there any chance that we're going to get a more extensive final results um, more than just five, or do you think you're going to keep it as just the the top five?
2: So I think you're going to see increased information uh, disclosed this year in terms of the results. The competitors are going to get far more information. I'll I'll, I'll tell you more about that, but I do want to address the comment you made about what people say on the internet. Um, uh, Part of the reason that we were pretty tight-lipped last year was a fear that people would be nasty, uh, either on perjuries or Facebook or whatever, and it was actually much worse than I expected. I mean, the stuff that people have sent me that's been posted since... Trial by combat last year was nasty, often singling out one or two competitors by name. Uh, The stuff that I've seen uh, online since about this person belongs or why not this person, that person's better than so-and-so. That's not nice. And I think the stuff that we've seen in the last uh, week or so unrelated to trial by combat, but about the national final round and the things that people have said after Ampta's announcement are grotesque. Um, And while we do want to find a good balance In many ways, the behavior that that we've seen in the last year makes me feel more comfortable about the decision we made last year. Um, I'll I'll give you another example. Um, Somebody sent me a link showing that after we released our gladiator field, high school students last week, somebody decided it was a good idea to go online and criticize 16 and 17-year-olds and say, this person's overrated. I get that professional athletes are going to get criticized, but when you're talking about whether 16-year-olds are good at asking fake questions and fake trials and you're putting their names on the internet... I can't really support that. That being said, I know that there is a huge desire to, for people to know what's happening at the competition. And we know that that interest in the competition is also what fuels an event like Trial by Combat. So we want to be cognizant of that. So that's a long way of saying here's what we're going to do uh, we're going to have a completely open tab to our competitors and coaches. They're going to be able to see the results. Uh, we're going to uh, try to make sure those results aren't photographed and put online. We don't want any tab cards posted online. As for the tab summary, uh, I know that we'll announce at least the top five. My guess is we'll go down a little further, but I think that everybody here is a champion. I know that sounds cliche, but the fact is we're talking about 16 students out of 5,000 attorney competitors in the country. I mean, that, the fact that these students are here means they've already won. Uh, we want to identify the very best, the best, but I'm not really interested in saying this person was 16 and this person was 15.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that what you just said towards the end, I I really agree with. At the end of the day, when people are criticizing anyone that's at trial by combat, gladiator, or anything, at a certain point, it's just ridiculous. Obviously, these people are here for a reason. And even if we do publish them, the person that's 16th is the – like, in theory, if that was an accurate representation, they're the 16th best in the country – I don't think anyone would ever be scoffing at that. That's an amazing, amazing accomplishment. And frankly, it is very frustrating to see the response that people often have to it about whether people deserve to be there, don't deserve, what, whatnot. So I think that hearing what you have to say about it definitely encourages me about uh, where we're going with it. And I agree that it, it. I definitely think that people haven't earned the privilege yet of, of getting a full and complete tab result, but I'm glad to hear that the competitors at least will. So I'm definitely glad to hear that.
2: Yeah, I mean, and you, you say the 16th best competitor. I, I'm not going to claim that these are the very top 16. I mean, I think they're all phenomenal. But how do I know that somebody who decided not to apply isn't also wonderful or one of their teammates isn't just as good? But whether they're the top 16 or all the top 20, these are some of the very, very best. We're talking about better than just the top 1% of competitors nationwide. It's like criticizing this group is like going to the Olympics and saying that the the woman who ran last in the sprint is is really slow. I mean it's just a bizarre silly state. Yeah,
0: and and I think, you know, especially now looking at it from the angle of being a coach of a competitor in, you know, one of the one of the great things about mock trial is how passionate we all are about it. And one of the tough things about mock trial about is how passionate we all are about it and it's 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 a difficult balance to strike in terms of, you know, like you said, like it's awesome that people care, right? That there's hundreds of people around the country who are going to watch the live stream and want to know what's going on and will read articles and stuff like that. But it it is really unfortunate that there are, you know, probably a few people, right? Usually a small number of people who are going to say nasty things about people because that's just what they're going to do. And so I think, you know, I think it's a good balance between let's tell people what's going on, but also let's remember that, You know, even at the college level or even the law school level, these are human beings and we we have to keep that in mind.
2: Yeah, I I hope that our competitors this year will be able to shrug it off a little bit and realize they're here. They earned it. They're really good. Whether they finish first or or not, I mean, these are really good competitors. I, I ducked in and watched a few rounds last year. I judged one of the prelims. There was not a weak competitor in the group, and I think this year's group's even stronger.
0: Yeah. And, and I, I judged three rounds and I had the exact same thought. And along those same lines, they just sort of moved to, move to a, a similar question. One of the things that's that's interesting, and I suppose I'll get to experience this at least secondhand uh, in a couple weeks, is sort of the relationship between the competitors. Because it's a very different setup from an AMTA tournament where you're sort of huddled with your team the entire time versus this, you kind of have this group of 16 elite competitors. So what have you seen Justin, from last year in terms of like how how is it different in terms of how the competitors interact at Trial by Combat versus, say, a, a regular AMTA tournament?
2: It is the coolest environment you're going to see among competitors. It's just awesome. Uh, and it's, it's for two reasons. Number one, they're not there with teammates. So immediately if you have tables up for lunch and you're there with your teammates, people are naturally going to congregate with their own group. And it's like a Nationals. Everybody sits with their own team and they may go around and chat with other teams, but they're there with their group. That's their squad. Here, it's one-on-one. You're there. Obviously, you're hanging out with your, with your coach, and some people have family and friends who come watch, but people are there generally alone, and they're going to get to know each other. I think people are also excited to meet the other top competitors. There's a certain excitement about knowing that they're one of that group, and these are other people they've either seen in competition or names they've heard. And it's also a small group, so it's a really manageable thing to meet everybody. The first year we held Gladiator, it was just 16 students, and we've expanded to 48 since then. I'm glad that we've expanded, but the camaraderie of that first group of 16 was the closest I've seen. And every year I do Top Gun with 16 students. It's just the nicest group because you're all in it together, especially with that 24 hours prep. There's sort of an acknowledgement, like we got through this together. Uh, You're facing the clock as much as you're facing each other. And there's a great camaraderie. I saw it last year, Trial by Combat. I've heard anecdotally that a lot of our combatants, so to speak, are still friends and cheering for each other a year later, I don't anticipate anything different this year.
1: So I actually want to push back a little bit on on one of the stylistic choices that you've made for Trial by Combat, and I'm hoping to get your opinion on this. So one of the things that you guys do at Trial by Combat is that you have uh, your competitors compete both as an attorney and as a witness. And I think it's for good reason. Obviously, mock trial is an activity where you need to be Uh, good at both. And it's an activity where we have competitors that are top competitors as attorneys and top competitors as witnesses. What my question is, is just looking at the accolades that these competitors have gotten, your field is predominantly people that have had success as attorneys. And I mean, last year, we obviously had Dennis Tinchelli, who's a phenomenal, phenomenal witness. But looking at the field this year, I think I'm pretty safe in saying that most of these people are primarily attorneys. And if it's going to be that way, if this is really going to be primarily the top attorneys, then why not divide the tournament into you know purely this is the attorney's bracket, and then you have another set of of competitors that is the witnesses' bracket and allow it to then become the top attorney and the top witness. Or if even not doing that, then just allowing the attorneys to compete only as attorneys. That way we can establish who is the top attorney rather than having this witness component when these are people that realistically don't compete as witnesses.
2: Great question. Uh, so I guess first I'll, I'll speak up on Dennis's behalf. Dennis is an excellent witness, but he's also a fantastic lawyer. He was oh, of a, course. he was an attorney award winner at Gambley last year. So I think the reason he doesn't have more attorney awards is just that he's so good as a witness that that's where he's been placed. But- if this guy were let loose as a lawyer, he'd be racking up lawyer awards too. Um, as for, you know, why do we strike that balance? There's no perfect way to do it. Uh, and I'll, I can just speak to why we do it the way we do. On the one hand, AMTA is very much a split between attorney and witness skills, right? I mean, it's it's three lawyers per side, three witnesses per side. And the ballot is eight scores for lawyers and six for witnesses, almost dead even, right? 57% for the lawyers. Law school is 100% an advocacy competition, 100% a legal competition, and this is put on by law schools. So there's some pressure there to make it more attorney heavy than the college competition. So part of what you see reflects trying to split the baby between the law school 100% and the college 57% uh, in terms of attorney weight. I also think that in terms of the scoring, while witnessing is a huge part of successful mock trial and witness skills are not easy... Generally speaking, it's a lot easier for a lawyer to jump into a witness role than it is for a witness who's never been an attorney to jump into an attorney role, particularly at a high level. I don't care how good a witness you are. If you've never been an attorney before, it's going to be very difficult to jump in and face the caliber of lawyers we have at this competition. Whereas a lot of these lawyers uh, have gotten their starts as witnesses, uh, particularly when they were younger. Uh, Some of them have won witness awards. Uh, You ask, why not then just have an attorney component and a witness component? Part of it is that we want the tournament to have uh, the resources to make it really, really special. Uh, we have a limited number of great courtrooms. Uh, we want to make sure we have lots of judges per round. We want the tournament to be affordable for, for our students. That's why we don't charge a registration fee. If we were to increase it so that we had way more attorneys, way more witnesses, and we sort of had a separate attorney witness fields, I think we wouldn't be able to offer all of those special resources that make it both free from a registration fee standpoint but also the same number of judges per trial, the same quality of courtrooms, things like that. So a lot of it's logistic, but partly also we think it's really special to limit it to 16 competitors. That means making tough decisions sometimes about who's admitted, but it means that when you are admitted, it's, it's that much more exciting. So I think the last major
0: area that we haven't touched on a ton so far is the case itself. Um, so I think my first question on that is, you know, you've now, obviously you've done this, you've done Gladiator and everything, but in terms of trial by combat, specifically this, is the second one you've written. So how did the process, how was the process similar and how was it different if at all from writing last year's case versus how you approached this year's case?
2: Sorry, are you asking me just about process or are you asking me about case content or both? So it's
0: more of a process question. I was going to ask a case content question next. So I guess sort of to start with just the process of how do you approach the case this year versus last year?
2: Very, very similar. Uh, writing a case with uh, for a one-on-one competition with one witness per side is particularly challenging. On the one hand, it's nice because you just don't need to have it uh, be as long and exhaustive. It's much easier to come up with ideas for one witness than it is to make eight witnesses interesting or ten witnesses interesting. The challenge is that you've got to be able to prove your case with a single witness. That may sound obvious, but it's really hard, particularly uh, for the party with a burden of proof, to meet their burden with a single witness. What ends up happening is that really limits this, the type of trials you can do. You think about how many different AMTA cases we've done over the years that would not work with a single witness. You just There's just too much to prove. Even if it's not particularly complicated, you just need multiple uh, people speaking in order to meet your burden of proof by the time you rest. So we've tried to think about cases that are going to work for single witnesses, one witness per side. I want a case that has a length that's doable within 24 hours. The Top Gun competition uh, usually uses cases that are 300, 400 pages, dozens of exhibits. I think one year they had a hundred exhibits. Uh, the one we just did two weeks ago had only 40 something exhibits. It was only three hundred fifty pages. I mean, Hmm. there there was a 40 minute video deposition that one of us was, was watching at double double speed while reading something else. I mean, I don't want to do that to our competitors for one. They're not yet law students. Um, and for another, we want this to be hundred percent fun um, and they also have to be witnesses too. So we wanted to be a little more manageable than uh, the top Gun uh, competition is uh, as far as case length. That, all that said, uh, last year, I saw how well everybody handled it. Everybody who got the case on Friday was alive and, and smiling or at least at least alive on on Saturday morning. and <laughs> uh, no one said the case was too hard. A couple people said the case was, uh it could have been even harder. She didn't say it was too easy, but Ms. Bay said she wants it as hard as possible. We're not making it as hard as she might want, but we had a couple competitors say that, that they think it we could handle even more. So this year's case, while about the same length, it's gonna be between 50 and 60 pages, is a little bit more complicated. Last year's case was uh simple from a legal standpoint. It was just a question of did the defendant commit murder? And it was just a who-done it, there were no affirmative defenses. This year's case will be a little more complex.
0: Well, that sort of leads into what I think is my last question, which is that obviously we're recording this a little less than a week, a little more than a week away from the actual case release. Uh, and so it's got to stay pretty much under wraps. But is there anything at all, even vague, that you can tell us about the case
2: itself? Okay. So I, I have a question for you guys, and I'll, I'm going to give you guys a choice. I can either tell you one thing about the case or if you let me give a plug for the UCLA School of Law's trial program, I'll give you three <laughs> facts about the case. It's
0: up, it's up to you. I, I think the stage is yours, and you can plug away and then give us yeah. as many facts of the case as you'd like.
2: All right. But I, I thought I might get that answer.
0: Yeah. <laughs> as someone who is hoping to sleep for at least a few minutes next Friday, I, I, I think as many facts as possible
2: is great. Okay. So I'll tell you this about the UCLA program. I'm obviously very biased, but our law school trial team – I think is now already the the top program in the country. And it's easy to say that, but my students have backed it up. Uh, we've now at law school competitions made the playoff rounds. That is, you know, you qualify from the prelims to the, the playoffs at 10 consecutive tournaments. We're the only school in the country that, that has a streak even close to that long. We qualified for every playoff at every competition this year. There's five separate national competitions in law school. In our very first year of this new program, we reached four of the five national competitions. No school in the country reached more. I think only two of them reach as many as we did. And we're getting better. Uh, in the fall, we anticipate two more coaches joining, both of whom are All-Americans. Uh, I'll announce their names this fall, but both of them are former Top Gun competitors uh, from different schools. So our coaches are top-notch. The program has incredible resources. And like I said, you know, most of the time when you're looking at law schools, you either have to choose a great trial program or a great law school. You don't have to make that choice. So we're really excited about what we're building. So that's the end of my plug. I appreciate the uh, the shameless opportunity. <laughs> I'm going to tell you three things about the case. Uh, I don't think any of them will help you prepare, but they will, uh, <laughs> they, they will uh, uh, satisfy some curiosity. Uh, so the first is that usually my cases are not inspired by any particular real-life event. This one, uh, there was definitely a rip from the headlines uh, event that I thought, this would be a great mock trial case. The second fact I'll tell you is that it is a criminal case, and I'll send an email to the competitors so that even if there's anybody still out there not listening to the mock review, <laughs> uh, everybody knows that fact. And the third fact, I think you'll like this one the most, is that your podcast is referenced in the case. Ooh. Oh, man. I don't
0: know how I feel about that.
2: <laughs> hey, the one thing you got to know about journalists, you guys are journalists now, is you never want to <laughs> piss off journalists because they, they can talk about you. So don't worry. Everything I say in the case about you is good.
1: Okay. Oh, I'm so intrigued. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll,
0: I'll control F as soon as I get it and see what we've we got going on. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, Justin, thanks so much for talking to us. It's it was great to have you on again. And uh, I can say from someone who judged last year and who is going to be coaching this year, I'm, I'm just really excited. I think trial by combat has been an awesome addition. I know it's not technically AMTA, but just sort of to the college mock trial world. And, and I think I speak for everyone and we say, we're
2: really looking forward to seeing how it goes this upcoming year. Well, thank you. And and congratulations to you on on coaching at it. Uh, I'm a big fan of yours, but I will tell you, you weren't selected and your student wasn't selected just because I like you. Uh, Your student, (laughs) because she is fantastic. Sydney is, uh, you know this, but now I'm saying on your podcast, the first uh, sophomore ever selected for trial by combat. uh, And she's the only sophomore in this year's field. And that's really a remarkable achievement. So credit to her, credit to you, and, and good luck next week.
0: Thanks, Justin. Thanks for talking to us.
1: Thank you, Justin. Welcome back to the mock review. We are extremely fortunate today to have Jonathan Kwong of UCLA with us. Jonathan has been a two-time tournament director of UCLA's U Classic. He is also a well accoladed attorney, winning awards at both of the last two years at regionals, orcs, and two All-Americans at nationals. So, Jonathan, thank you so much for joining us.
3: Thank you. Thank you for having me on, and thank you for the very nice introduction.
1: (laughs) Well, let's get started the way we start just about all of these, the origin story. How did you get started in mock trial? When did you get started, and why do you do this horrible activity that we all clearly hate? (laughs)
3: all right uh so i started in high school i didn't do like the four years in high school that everyone seems to have done i started in junior year and my introduction was actually through speech and debate uh my chinese teacher in ninth grade his name was mr kuang uh not my dad uh it was k-w-o-n-g i'm k-u-a-n-g uh but he was a speech and debate competitor back in his day and he kind of sold the cl- class, uh, the Chinese class on speech and debate. So a bunch of us joined. I did that for all all four years of high school. But then the third year, one of my friends in speech and debate, Will Johnson, who actually competed at Cal uh, on Cal mock trial team, I believe he went by Fisher there. Uh, he uh, was recruiting all the speech and debate kids for the mock trial team, which was kind of relatively new at Torrey Pines, which is the high school one too. Uh, and so I joined. It was, it was really interesting because Will ha- was the one that had recommended me and kind of brought me onto the team. And the other two presidents, or I believe the other two kind of executive board members, one of them actually went to USC mock trial. Her name was Sarah Dudar. And I, another girl who didn't end up doing mock trial in college. They both kind of hated Will. So when I was brought into the team, they kind of Both hated me as well. And so even though I thought it was pretty good at uh, the whole forensics and speech and debate thing, uh, they didn't agree. I think my junior year, I was I was an alternate for the majority of the year. uh, And I kind of wasted away in the background. I did like some clerking stuff and some bailiff stuff when the clerk and bailiff weren't in. But for the most part, I spent most of that year just like not really doing mock trial, uh, going in the carpools, like practices and stuff, but just kind of sitting there. Uh, But I did get a lucky break during the kind of county tournament, Uh, at least that's what we have in San Diego, like a sort of San Diego County. There were like 26 teams. Uh, Our witness, one of our witnesses, Dale Piper, he was the drug counselor. Uh, He, The person playing Dale Piper was sick, or I believe he had some other commitment, and I was able to step in, play Dale Piper. It was a great time. I did like little cute jokes uh, that today, I, I actually, there's a video of it, and I cringe watching it and my teammate from (laughs) high school always forwards it to me every like anniversary on Facebook so that's always something that kind of brings me back to my humble beginnings or origin story Uh, and then the next year after junior year I competed as an attorney Uh, that was really fantastic kind of the beginning of my uh, my real mock trial uh, career seeing as I I mostly attorney during during college Uh, so then I went to UCLA uh, joined the team here Again, I was put as a witness. I was put as Keenan, and I scored a two uh, on direct examination, which I, I've never seen that before on a ballot uh, since then. It was the, my first form ever. It was very, very discouraging. Kyle Kyle DeCamp at the time was actually still on the team, and he said that I had gotten the lowest score he had ever seen. And as a freshman, oh, no. you know, kind of <laughs> someone who looked up to Kyle as this gargantuan giant in mock trial, I was. it was a very depressing moment in my life, uh, but... At UCLA, we have this sort of uh, stacking in-house tournament called Equals, and that's basically where we just have an in-house scrimmage between a bunch of teams we make up of ourselves, and they're all equally balanced with like an equal number of A-team, B-team, C-team, D-team, E-team members, and we all compete against each other, and the e-board watches us and stacks us. And so during that time, I had the opportunity to kind of showcase what I had learned in high school and through speech and debate. Uh and I ended up on C team for that year. And then sophomore year, I was also on C team. And again, I was kind of, kind of let down, I guess, by that, uh, because I ended up on the same team twice. Not, not to say that that's a bad thing, but I had high hopes at the time. Uh, but yeah, I think uh, the last tournament of my sophomore year on C team, it was uh, the regional tournament. And I actually got judged by someone who coaches Yale, but I didn't know that at the time. It was Jeffrey Wu. And, he, and I went up to him after the round for, for comments and everything. And he was like, hey, you're pretty good. And I think that was kind of the turning point of my career because I was like, hey, I I I am pretty good. And then after that <laughs> junior year, I was like, I am pretty good. And then I kind of put it all into practice. I was like, because I think a lot of mock trial ends up being this sort of just like confidence in yourself more, more so than any Absolutely. skill or actual knowledge because, I don't know, like maybe 2% of the round is actually objections and the rest is just like you getting up there and just talking, uh, for the most part. And everyone's like, Oh, I love your courtroom demeanor. And really it's just, you not being like, Oh dang, I'm, I'm not that good in, in that sort of round. Uh, but yeah, since then I, I was on a team junior and senior year and it has been a great time an absolute ride. So
0: <laughs> that's first of all, and, and Jeffrey go from, from Yale is, is a, Great guy. And and quite frankly, if, if he told you that, that's a high compliment because he knows what he's yeah. doing.
3: That, that's what I'm saying. It was a turning point.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, so as you mentioned, you spent four years in one of AMTA's sort of preeminent programs at UCLA. You guys hosted a nationals while you've been in that program. Uh, you touched on it a little bit, but give us a sense of what it's like to compete at a program like UCLA with sort of the pedigree that it has and, and how that's affected your mock trial career over the la- course of the last four years.
3: Sure. I, I mean, I think the pedigree is, is really nice and it's something that it's difficult to appreciate coming from UCLA just because uh, kind of grow, you grow up in the program. You grow up with this pedigree of, Oh, UCLA is awesome. Especially when I came in, Kyle was like a senior. We were just coming off kind of like, the glory years of like Ian and, and all those amazing Montreal like James Caress, Brandon Hughes, Amanda Mundell. And it was like, Oh my gosh. And, and you just have all these people to look back on and be like, wow, like this is what our program can do. And the great thing about like so many of those alumni is that they, they're willing to help uh, maybe not necessarily in person, but their videos are still there. We have like a, a sort of video library of their past performances, their past rounds and you, and especially earlier in my career, that was something I really, really focused on in terms of improving. It was just watching these videos uh, and kind of stealing stuff (laughs) that I thought it was good and, (laughs) and turning it into my own or maybe not my own, just reciting it word for word for the most part. And that was something that was really beneficial, I think, just being able to stand on the shoulders of these amazing mock trial competitors and kind of pretending and passing it off as my own in round and the judge is like wow that was amazing and and i'm like yeah it was amazing that was that was why i used it Uh, (laughs) but for the most part i think i think there's also the the side of like when people see you in round as well like a a lot of other teams i think there's like an intimidation factor to some extent i i think it's it's much less now just because i think west coast mock trial as a whole has been getting better and better like a at an exponential rate in like every single corner of the West Coast, uh, like you have all these teams that are getting so strong and, and so competitive. So I think to that extent, uh, the pedigree and kind of the prestige of, of UCLA Mock has uh, lost some of the competitive edge in terms of, oh, you have this intimidation factor, you walk into round, you're UCLA. Um, but beyond that, I, I think UCLA, I, we've, we kind of have our own prestige now in that uh, we continue to build this uh, uh, build on the success of, of our past teams. Certainly we haven't repeated like the 2011, 2014 nationals, unfortunately. Uh, but I think something that, that I'm really proud of is the fact that uh, all of our teams for the most part are generally get out of regionals. I know you guys had commented several times about the failures of some of our teams to get out of regionals this year on, on some of your regionals <laughs> analysis, which was, you know, Hurt us, hurt us all. Uh, but I think generally we have that that reputation for getting out of regionals. Even the UCLA E team is something to be scary of. I, I've seen that written like a lot uh, on like perjuries or, or mock trial confessions. And definitely that's something I think that contributes to our continuing prestige on, on the West Coast specifically, uh, just because every single team is a threat. We just have so much talent that comes in each year, especially with five teams, you just kind of have like this talent farm that keeps on churning out these, these amazing attorneys. And I'm sure it'll continue because we have Gonzalo, (laughs) Gonzalo Bracius, who is like the backbone of our infrastructure. And, you know, everything he touches is just amazing. But yeah, uh, I think, I think I've kind of meandered away from the question, but that was kind of my impressions, kind of the benefits I've, I've had from growing up in UCLA mock trial.
1: Jonathan, I, I think you read my mind as as you were talking about it. I was thinking about the times when we had spoken about UCLA in the past on the mock review, and I really think that what you said is is really valid. I think that I disagree with you that you've lost the intimidation factor. I know that I have had to play UCLA in rounds, and it's never a pleasant experience. You guys are really, really good. Um, pleasant, it's, it's you guys are always very friendly, of course, but you're very, very good, um, so i i actually was hoping to go back to the stacking process that you mentioned before because i've always so impressed by the fact that as you mentioned you guys oftentimes have your e-team making it through to regionals and what's so impressive about that to me is to have five teams that are all at such a high level that are stacked you know in in order of talent and yet, still, your E team is good enough to break from regionals. I think we've been seeing that we've reached a point in Montreal where it's not easy to break from regionals, as you pointed out. There are just too many good programs out there, and for an E team to be so consistently making it to the point that I'm going to get on my high horse and be surprised that it didn't make it <laughs> one year—I mean, that's really impressive. And I mean. It, Is the stacking process, like, do you, I mean, that's obviously a very unique process. I haven't heard one like it, but I mean, how do you think that that works for you guys? Do you guys restack after regionals to get your orcs programs when you have so many different teams making it? Like, how does all of that work?
3: Sure. Uh, Well, first, before we go into this, I just do want to throw out there the fact that I think all of our teams that didn't make it out of regionals this year were very, very close. So just just putting that out there, oh, it's absolutely. not a stain on our program. It's not inconsistency. <laughs> we were very very close. I think our e team took a ballot off of Stanford A. So I, I'm proud of I'm proud of what they've done, and I'm sure next year we'll be back on that that road of consistency. And you can get off of your high horse uh, in that respect.
0: <laughs> I, I think it was all Drew who said all those things, anyways.
3: <laughs> but <laughs> yes. Yeah, Drew, you can you can get off your high horse if you are still doing this I, next I will. year. I don't know if you are. But <laughs> Going back to the stacking process, um, well, I I don't think the stacking process is necessarily what makes all of our teams so good because of the fact, as you mentioned, we we stack based on ability uh, in descending order. Our our, our D and E teams are we call them our blue and gold teams. They're actually equally stacked. Uh, but I think the the reason why the the program is so consistent in that aspect is. Not so much the stacking, but more so, first of all, our, our recruiting. This year, we had an amazing publicity director, Allison Ping, and she just got the word out. We got so many talented people trying out, especially at UCLA, like this huge public university. And I, I think we're the number one public university ahead of Berkeley now uh, in, some, in some polls. Uh, of course, the, the Cal kids always mention the other polls, but, you know, it's fake news.
1: I'm just kind of curious about how how from regionals, when you have five teams make it, you guys get down to two teams for orcs. Is that a separate process for you guys? Or is that all, you know, is that happening uh, with the initial stacking process, those A and B teams are the ones that are going on and there's nothing a C D or E member can do to move up?
3: Uh, so, yeah, uh, we don't like split stack or anything like that. I, I, I've i heard that UChicago like split stacks for regionals or something like that, and then they... They, they stack up for orcs or something like that. It, it's not so much like that. It's uh, I, but regarding the U Chicago thing, I'm not sure if that's that's right at all. So uh, if you're from U Chicago, please correct me on that. Um, but yeah, we uh, for the most part our A and B teams stay the same from regionals to orcs. Uh, we will pull up like one or or two kids from the C, D, or E teams that kind of stand out. Uh, the year, like, or, or if we have like a witness gap that we need to fill, if, if there's like an orcs change, and we need a straight witness, or we need a another expert, or something like that, that's never happened before, <laughs> or if we need just some sort of other witness that that someone in the C through e teams can fill, then we of course will we we sometimes have like tryouts that sort of thing among those kids, and then we pick people to kind of supplement our team, uh, but for the most part, the A and B teams stay the same from regionals two orcs uh, that answers your question
1: no definitely uh so one of the other things that you mentioned jonathan was the fact that on the west coast obviously it's been uh improving a lot as i feel all the regions probably have but do you think that there are stylistic differences that you've seen obviously you've been to nationals for the last two years and you compete at many of the top tournaments invitationals around the country that are located uh, in different locations than just the West Coast. Uh, so, do you see a lot of stylistic differences between different teams? Do you think that there's certain things that work better on the West Coast than they work elsewhere? What are your thoughts on on stylistic differences?
3: I mean, absolutely. I think there are there are stylistic differences between the West and the East Coast. I haven't had so much uh, experience in the Midwest. I went to I think I went to Grand Ole Tournament a couple times, but I think there it was. Judged by coaches for the most part. I'm not absolutely certain, but it didn't seem like there were too many stylistic differences there, or even styles that were discernible there. Just because there were so many different teams and their different coaches forming this sort of judging pool. But I think on the West Coast specifically, West Coast. I mean, it's a lot of the West Coast stereotypes: a big presentation, the big characters, kind of walking around the courtroom, having those dramatics. Uh, I think they love any sort of like entertainment aspect. Uh, being like pumped up to 11 on the west coast where i feel like on the <laughs> east coast my, my experiences are mostly uh, the downtown and just the the tor- uh, nationals as well i guess uh those are the ex- i've I actually went to gamthia as well uh but to the extent of, of my experience on the east coast it seems like they don't like that so much they like it to be more you play it cool you're kind of more reserved almost i'm not sure if that's necessarily the right word but you don't go too much into the hysterics that the west coast might go into character witnesses are a lot more hit or miss on the east coast i think in terms of some judges will love them the same way they love them on the west coast but some judges will just absolutely hate your witnesses even the ones that you think are are mild they'll say oh the character is like way too big dock you down to a three we actually played yale uh round one of the shutdown showdown this year and we had Tillis and another judge. I don't know if Tillis... I don't I don't know where Tillis is from, uh, but him and the other judge from the East Coast, they both scored very similarly. They marked all of our characters down to like a three on direct and cross, which was <laughs> very brutal. Uh, and hmm. this was against Yale too. So we were already losing and to have our witnesses, which are perennial strength of UCLA, you know, like having strong character witnesses, having strong witnesses in general, having them get marked down was was very rough. Uh, But I think on the East Coast, the lesson I was learning, especially going into nationals, was just to be much more careful with, first of all, my hands, second of all, my movement, uh, staying kind of more in like a certain spot. And I guess this is just good mock trial, but this is less penalized on the West Coast. If you're like walking up and down the courtroom, walking every which way, I think it's much less penalized. looked at in a negative way than on the east coast where they'll say oh that was so distracting i couldn't listen to what you were saying the entire time uh you need to keep your hands at your sides uh you shouldn't be moving around at all only to like emphasize certain points Uh, i think that that is good mock trial and i think that's probably advice that stands on the west coast to some extent as well but on the west coast i think it's much more easy for those judges to overlook walking around, and wild hand gestures, if you're being very entertaining with them, if you're doing all these sort of dramatics, engaging in these theatrics that kind of make their judging experience those three hours interesting for them. And I don't think there's the same leeway on the East Coast in that respect. It does feel, I don't want to say colder, but it does feel colder on the East Coast in terms of like, oh, mock trial is not so much about like being fun and big and dramatic and having the best time you can with it it's more about presenting a very realistic portrayal of what uh real attorneying is uh, whatever that is uh so (laughs) i think to that extent those are the main differences that i've witnessed i think that, that that's for the most part it does seem from mock trial confessions that the east coast teams are more mean to each other. <laughs> I don't know if that's accurate, but they all seem to hate each other a little bit. Whereas on the West Coast, I do feel like we are a bit more chummy with each other. Um, so yeah, uh, that that's my take on the social aspect as well. Huh.
0: That, that's interesting. As for the specific judging anecdote, I'm going to do a, a big fat no comment on that. But uh, <laughs> that's still... <laughs> uh interesting and and i i think you know our experience on the west coast is literally limited to just uh two years ago when we went to your nationals and we managed to play four east coast teams uh so you know but that's that's really interesting so obviously you know you've done your your time at ucla you've been tremendously successful and one of the sort of um rewards of that is that you're going to be competing at the 2019 trial by combat uh so uh sort of a two-part question which is that uh what are your initial thoughts on um that challenge right on just sort of this unique type of tournament and how you're approaching it and then is this something have you ever done anything like this in the past or will it pretty much be a brand new experience for you
3: Sure. Uh so first on the challenge, uh it looks terrifying. <laughs> 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 I mean, just looking at the field is so scary. I mean, every single one of those people is absolutely terrifying in my opinion. So, yeah, it's probably going to be one of the biggest challenges of my mock trial career. Uh just because I don't, I don't know, you like you look at that field and there is not a person in there that you want to face or would even be okay with facing even every one of those people look look like they'll take seven ballots off of me each round <laughs> <laughs> so, so to that extent i am very terrified of the upcoming challenge it's in less than a week so or uh, oh, a week i think exactly something like yep. that uh so something i am looking forward to to some extent just in terms of like testing myself against these people because playing on the west coast you don't have as much opportunity to play with these east coast legends uh but definitely something I'm also fearing a little, so sometimes I' kind of been oscillating in terms of oh, I really want to win t v c to oh I, I think I should just treat a, a, a go in and try and have fun because I feel like if I go with that that win mentality, it's going to be an absolute crushing end to my to my mock trial career but but we'll see because i I don't know i. My parents are going to be watching me too for the first, uh, for the second time. My mom is going to be watching me for the first time ever competing in Mock Trial. Hmm. Uh, so uh, <laughs> I've been telling them all year, I'm like, I- I'm pretty good. Like I- I've been winning all these awards and stuff. And they're like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, you're really good. And-, and the first or second experience they're going to see of me is me getting crushed by like Elizabeth Bates <laughs> or, or <laughs> Regina Campbell or Claudine Isaac or Sidney Gaskins, you know. And it's going to be, It's going to be an experience. I I think the first time they ever watched me was NYU had come to U classic and it was like Nick Ramos, uh, JP, (laughs) and they were just crushing us as well. (laughs) So I think my parents' impression of me doing mock trial is probably not the best. (laughs) Um, So to that extent, so that, that kind of feeds into the, I want to do well at this tournament so that my parents aren't like, what is he doing with his life? Why is he? investing all this time in this activity where he's just simply outclassed by everyone uh but yeah we'll see how it goes and in terms of having done something like this before no I have not um I was trying to do some sort of preparations with some of the other competitors but the scheduling didn't just didn't work out uh I had I heard on the podcast about Eric Roitman and all of his preparations and that kind of inspired me but I've definitely not been doing anything this summer in terms of preparation. To, so to that extent, it will be a very new experience to me. Uh, fortunately enough, I have Stephen Borella as my coach, and he's just a monster of churning out content. Uh, so to that extent, I will definitely be supplemented in areas that I'm weak, namely writing a lot of content in 24 hours, which <laughs> is, uh, I don't know, that, that's an enormous feat. I, I was watching the Top Gun uh, stuff I think that was like yesterday or or 2 days ago. It's like 350 pages or something. That, that was the number I yep, heard thrown out. I think that's right. Like I was looking at the the last trial by combat case and it was it was still very hefty and I was like, "Oh man, like I got to spend 2 hours on this, 2 hours on this. Oh, dang, I'm I'm not going to have time to sleep. Uh, if I if I want to memorize stuff and, and and be prepared in the morning and and have energy, like how how am I going to have time for all this?" And I just can't imagine like what those uh, tr- uh what's it called? Uh, top gun competitors i can't i can't bl- imagine what they're going through <laughs> they have like new witnesses every single day so i think we'll definitely be getting like a light version of that hopefully in trial by combat hopefully justin takes it easy on us <laughs> uh but to that extent i am a little scared it does feel like it's going to be a very stressful time in my life uh definitely something that will be a very vast difference from my very sedated summer life that I've been really, really enjoying.
0: Well, you, you touched on the prep a little bit, but I want to ask you specifically about something, which is your, you know, sort of your at least more recent experience, my understanding is mostly as an attorney and and obviously it's primarily an attorney tournament, but obviously there's a witnessing component. uh, And we had fun talking to Eric and to Nick about the witnessing component. So have you done much witnessing in college mock trial? How are you feeling about that? aspect of the competition given that you know at least more recently primarily you've been competing as an attorney
3: also given my two on direct examination oh that's <laughs> ancient
0: history you're yeah
3: let's just say there's going to be some free ballots up for grabs if anyone hits me as a witness <laughs> which will happen twice uh no i i actually i actually played mccoy uh, at one of the tournaments because our mccoy wasn't able to make it this year and mccoy is a was a very interesting witness to play let's just let's just put it that way Interesting expert report. I don't know. I don't know. Like, I, I actually, yeah, I, I don't really know what you're supposed to do with McCoy, but I had a good time with McCoy. Playing witness is always fun, especially like after crossing witnesses for like four years. You just kind of get tired of them doing these like really annoying strategies, not answering your questions. And, and to kind of flip that on the attorneys and see the pain in their face was kind of cathartic, I think, in, in some respects, kind of a release of tension of the tension that's been building up in me uh, for four years after like asking witness a question and them just saying, yes, but, and then they go on for like 20 years and you (laughs) cut them off and the judge is like, don't cut them off. And you object non-responsive. And the judge is like, no overruled, control your witness. And you try and control your witness and they just keep on talking. (laughs) And then the judge's scores don't reflect that. And yeah, it's a, it's a very love hate relationship, but playing McCoy was fun. I actually got 15 ranks, something I always like to brag about because everyone always says I'm a, I'm a terrible witness. And whenever I suggest me witnessing, everyone laughs at me. So to that extent, I I was happy to prove some people wrong, but I also saw that for trial by combat, there are no expert witnesses. So that was a real bummer for me. I saw last year, there was a a doctor or something that talked about like fingerprint analysis. So we'll see what happens this year. It seems like maybe we'll be playing defendant, uh, but to that extent, I do not have very much experience. Um, so I hope to maybe make some witness gains in the next couple of days. Watch some uh, Doolittle, Patrick Doolittle. Watch some, I, I forgot what her name was, the, the Yale defendant. It was like Allison Durkin, I want to say. I'm not sure if that's right. But she was a right. phenomenal, yeah. phenomenal defendant. I think she defended in, in like both of the rounds that, that were broadcasted. And then also, shout out to my own team. We have Gabriel Marquez, who is the top witness at like every single tournament this year. Uh, so I'll take some tips from him as well <laughs> and try out and my witness game. Because I think for this year, for trial by combat, it's, uh, it's going to be entire ballots uh, being like the, the number one determination of, of where you're, you're standing is not the amount of check marks, which I feel like is actually like a really big change and is going to make things a lot more different from, from last year. I haven't really thought it through too much, but I imagine if you take if you take three ballots as a witness, <laughs> that's, that's kind of insane. And there's only three check marks, so it's really going to hang on that credibility mark or, or that cross mark. So to that extent, it seems like it's going to be very volatile. Um, but we'll see. We'll see. I, I think generally it will be more volatile due to the fact that they're abandoning, the, or they're not abandoning the check mark. They're just decreasing its priority and making it the entire ballot. So that that will be a little bit scary, I think.
1: Well, I think that you kind of contradicted yourself there, Jonathan, when you said that you're, you're going to be giving out free ballots as a witness, but somehow you managed to pick up fifteen ranks as one. I know I have tried being a witness, and I was very far from that.
3: There are no experts now, <laughs> so I'm going to be back to playing Detective Keenan, and I'm going to score a two. <laughs> I'll pro- I'll try and I'll try and train a, a secret a- accent or something like that.
0: <laughs> yes because if there's one thing that always works it's deploying an accent for the first time in a pressure situation
3: absolutely i've never seen that go wrong i'm thinking i'll do like a country accent or something uh, i don't know <laughs> philly jersey might play well i i, I have no idea <laughs> i have no i i have no, no no real field field tested knowledge of philadelphia
0: yeah only one way to find out <laughs>
3: <laughs> i'll make sure to pull out the accent specifically against sydney all right that sounds so, good i'm yeah. here for it it's either going to win all three ballots or drop everything
1: <laughs> well jonathan after trial by combat happens i know that a lot of the focus obviously is on that but what's next for you are you going to be going to law school will you be doing mock trial at the law school level you know, will we be seeing you around in in the law school circuit at all or is this kind of it for you
3: yeah, so I was fortunate enough to be accepted into Harvard, so I'll be heading there in August. And I actually reached out to the team there; they're very student run, I believe. Uh, but they said they they would get back to me about potentially coaching. Uh, I think I want to remain involved with the AMP stuff just because I don't know next year's case specifically looks so much like so much fun. I mean, kidnapping, death—like, where was that? <laughs> where was that in my four years? Right. I literally after i graduate they come out with kidnapping and child is dead i mean it just seems unjust uh not not to throw shade <laughs> at you know like lead and milk or or like an old person getting discriminated against like those are very engaging and very you know spicy cases that i that i love to apply my brain to but uh you know i i would also love to talk about a child getting murdered <laughs> that's something that's been missing i feel like from my from my mock trial career that's there's like a hole in, in my career where, where a murdered child is.
1: No, I was gonna say, I, I heard a joke that uh, a mock trial room is the only one where, when someone says someone just murdered a child and they are answered with cheers of joy. <laughs>
3: <laughs> oh my gosh. That moment at nationals. Uh, oh, I think it was so funny. Was it, I don't know what his name was. Blue bond. I think his name is blue bond. but the way yeah, he I announced was it was just fantastic. Like, that that was phenomenal <laughs> announcing. So I hope he announces all the future cases. Maybe it was just the kidnapping portion that did it, but I think it was the announcing that also did it. And and the just like the ensuing ridiculousness that engulfed the room was just amazing. Just because everyone was freaking out. I think all the seniors like me were secretly crying and cursing <laughs> their teammates who were going to be have the opportunity to to compete with this case. Because I think Bluebon also did. Uh, Hendrix, which was the last criminal case. Yeah, he did. I don't know if if that's right, but that that case was that was that was an amazing case. So that was like a an attempted murder. I can't imagine what he's going to be able to do with like a him and his team. What what they're going to be able to do with a kidnapping and a child being dead? Like that 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 just sounds like the most fun that all my teammates are going to have that, that I won't be able to have. (laughs) So to that extent, (laughs) I I am trying to remain in the, in the circuit to some extent, whether that's through coaching. Uh, I've heard that law school mock trial isn't necessarily the same. They don't have like the same organizing or like central structure that the AMTA has created for the college circuit. So to that extent, kudos to AMTA and I'm sure I'll continue to grow in my appreciation of what AMTA has done for me and all these other college kids competing, but, uh, we'll see. I'll, I've, I'll definitely explore it. I think, uh, the, the law school mock trial stuff, uh, the Top Gun stuff definitely looked interesting from what I saw uh, this past weekend. Like they're phenomenal advocates. Um, and they get money if they went so that that's also really cool, especially paying law school debts that, that sounds very enticing. Uh, but I've also heard that one, else was like really busy, I've heard law school is really important or something like that. So I'll try and focus, I think, on my studies for a good portion of at least the first year, I think. So probably for, for, for at least a year or so, I won't be doing any sort of law school mock trial or heavy coaching, but I hope to one day get back into AMTA, whether or not it's in law school or, or later on in my career, just because, I don't know, it, it's been a great, a great time, a great four years. And you know, I, I can't wait to see all the cases that I won't be able to compete with.
0: <laughs> well, I, I can tell you from experience that that coaching it's a which hopefully you'll eventually get to do in some capacity. Is a you know, a different kind of rewarding, but still very rewarding? And, and you know, I think in some ways you get to let loose a little bit more because, you know, ultimately you're not the one who's getting the numbers next to your name. So, (laughs) uh, you know, if that's good. Yeah. But that's awesome. Congratulations on, on going to Harvard. That's fantastic. Uh, and you you know, congratulations on, on a really fantastic career. Best of luck at trial by combat.
3: Thank you very much. Best of luck to you, to you and your team as well.
0: Thank you. I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to it. I'm also looking forward to being over, but
3: yes, (laughs) yes. That, that, so perfectly encaptures my current feelings right now. I want to go through the experience. I want to be at that point after the experience is over and be like, "Wow, we did that. That was great." Yeah, I'm the t- yeah. I'm the 16th best competitor in the world, and no one can take <laughs> that away from me. Uh, but yeah, may- maybe I'll shoot for 15th. That's a that's kind of a reach goal. Uh, yeah, but yeah, it's 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 nice and very reassuring to be able to go into that tournament and be like hey even even if i lose every ballot i'm the 16th best in the world right now
0: yeah i think it's it's going to be a lot of fun and you know i I think it's going to be a great showcase of of a lot of tremendous talent so
3: absolutely absolutely
0: thanks again for joining us and i will see you very soon
3: thank you see you there